0: Entangled in a twisted love.
1: This is the Rocky Mountain Review for April 29th, 2019. I'm Anthony Bonner.
2: And I'm Kaya Cooper. Today we are going to be talking about the rising prices of textbooks.
1: An interview with Brandon Fuller about CSU's growth over the years.
2: An inside look at CSU's psychedelic club.
1: An exploration of Fort Collins' beer scene.
2: An interview with Steve McDonnell, a director of student-athlete support services here at CSU.
1: And lastly, a future about the Fort Collins cat rescue.
2: But first, some national and local news.
3: And this is the National News Report. It's becoming apparent that the dramatic presentation by North Korean officials regarding the $2 million bill for Otto Warmbier's hospital care in North Korea was okayed and known about by the White House. The former State Department special representative to North Korea told CNN that his understanding was that his boss, then-secretary of state Rex Tillerson, had gotten the $2 million bill okayed with Trump in 2017. This conflicts with Trump's account last September in which he said that he got the hostages back for nothing. The U.S. has still not paid the bill which has remained in the Treasury Department since 2017. A U.S. Army veteran's plot to commit a terror attack on the Los Angeles area was thwarted today. The 26-year-old said his goal was to retaliate on the New Zealand mass shootings. The FBI said on Monday that they received a tip about the gunman who killed one and injured three at a Southern California synagogue about five minutes before he opened fire. According to the Associated Press, one of the tipsters called the FBI's tip line at 11.15. The shooting happened around 11.30. Police arrested a 19 year old John Ernest of San Diego moments after the shooting started. Ernest posted a manifesto in which he praised the recent New Zealand mosque and Pittsburgh synagogue perpetrators. Ernest killed 60 year old Lori Kay and wounded the synagogue's rabbi. Avengers Endgame almost doubled the previous worldwide box office record for its opening. The film made an estimated $1.2 billion, which topped the previous record Avengers Infinity Wars, $640 million. It took the film just five days to reach the $1 billion threshold. Amazon announced plans to invest in um, over $80 million towards making one-day shipping uh, the standard for Amazon Prime members. Amazon is looking to add to the over 100 million people who subscribe to Amazon Prime. The U.S. recorded 704 cases of the measles this year, which marks a 25-year high. This comes as a number of parents in the U.S. believe that vaccines cause autism despite no scientific evidence to back up those claims. The previous high in measles cases since 2000 when the uh, disease was declared dead, was 667 in the entire year of 2014. A gay BYU student came out in his valedictorian speech. The 24-year-old political science major's speech was pre-approved by the college, and he said he hoped to ease the loneliness felt by other LGBTQ students at the university, which forbids dating between members of the same sex. For KCSU, I'm Brody Trujillo, and that was your National News Report.
4: Good afternoon, this is Caitlin Malone with your daily newscast for Wednesday, April 29th, 2019. This is brought to you by 90.5 KCSU. The CSU women's uh, softball team won its game against the Aztecs at San Diego State on Saturday, reported Junior Guerrero from the Collegian. The game started off not so good, with San Diego winning by two runs just after two innings. The Rams were able to score a run in the third inning and one in the the fourth inning, but San Diego stayed ahead after scoring three runs during the fifth inning. The Rams even faced disadvantage when one of their players, junior Karina Gamboa, was hit in the face after one of the Aztecs had hit it. However, in the sixth inning, the Rams were able to score one more run and finally clinching the game during the bottom of the seventh after scoring two more runs, beating the Aztecs by just one run, which was scored by Caitlin Cook. The CSU softball team will soon have to say goodbye to their senior players, who are sad to see them go, but are optimistic about the players next semester will be bringing in. Fort Collins is currently under a winter weather advisory, which started at noon today, reported Sarah Kyle from the Coloradon, About 3 to 5 inches is expected to pile up over the night, and about 6 inches of snow is expected by Tuesday morning. The high is only expected to be 36 degrees, with a low of 31. The advisory will be, the advisory will be affected until... Uh, 6 o'clock on Tuesday morning, which shows promise of a warmer temperature with a high of 48 and a possibility of thunderstorms in the afternoon as well. Then, by Wednesday and Thursday, we'll return to the warm spring season with temperatures expected to reach up to high high 60s and then back uh, back up to the 70s by the weekend. Every year, CSU housing fills up quickly during the spring semester, and it can be a stressful transition for students, reports Corbin Ryder from the Collegian. The office of off-campus life saw more than 9,000 students last year. Aggie Village saw more than 800 applications last year as well, and began and between 30 to 40 percent of the residents renewed their lease. The university encourages students to look at all options when searching for living off campus, and off-campus life holds a housing fair every February. Many students wonder when the best time to sign the lease is. Lindsey Mason, an assistant director of Off-Campus Life recommends that students sign their leases sometime between February and April through, though leases availability often continue into the summer months as well. However, that does not mean it is too late. If you still need living arrangements for next year, you can visit the Off-Campus Life website at oclcolostate.edu housing fair. The next Off-Campus Life housing fair will be held on February twentieth, two 2020.
1: Coming up later in the show, we have a story about rising textbook prices, as well as a look at how Fort Collins got his beer scene.
5: Wow, sounds like you're hungry for some local music. Tune in to the local lunch hour every Wednesday from 12 to 1 p.m. to satisfy your cravings. Only on 90.5 KCSU, Fort Collins, with me, DJ Danish.
6: Mmm, yummy.
2: I'm Kaya Cooper, and today I'm joined by Brandon Fuller, who is intricately involved with, been a part of CSU's community for many years. Thank you for joining me, Brandon.
7: Thanks for having me, Kaya. Of course.
2: Um, so, first I wanted to ask you, I was hoping you could give me a brief history about, of your personal history at CSU.
7: You bet. Uh, my parents came here in 1972 when my father was hired as a, a football coach, uh, offensive line coach here at CSU. And uh, we've been here ever since, mostly. Um, both my, uh, myself and both of my sisters are CSU alums. And uh, currently, uh, my daughter is now attending CSU as well.
2: That's amazing. So, since you've been watching CSU grow over the years, what is the most positive change you've seen CSU experience?
7: Yeah, there's definitely been a lot of positive changes over the last 40 years. Um, The thing I've noticed most uh, is the uh, increase in diversity and just inclusivity on the campus. Um, It was a very homogeneous uh, culture back back when I was a kid um so it's been exciting to see CSU grow and and change and um reflect more the demographics of the United States and that's been fun to watch and uh I like the uh like I said the inclusivity of you know all groups uh, being very welcome here
2: right right and what have you seen change for the worse
7: well <laughs> I think this is a uh, across the board all across the nation uh everywhere i've been so it's not just csu but it really genuinely does make me sad and i I am on campus every day i do work for the university as well uh, currently and uh, it makes me sad that everyone's so in their phones and with their headphones on when they're walking around campus uh really um, i wish that you young people could see what it was like back back in the 80s 90s when uh people were more interactive you know you would Throughout the day, you'd talk to several strangers, people you didn't know. You might even meet up with them later at, you know, Avo's Bar or or down, down at Tony's or the Aggie Theater, you know, because you like the same music and, you know, you saw someone with the concert t-shirt that you'd been at. And it was just a lot more uh, interactive, I guess. I, I see people being just kind of in their own heads now, which makes me sad a little bit.
2: And since we're on this topic, I was hoping you could have a nostalgic review. Um, I remember you telling me earlier about the flood you actually experienced when you were a student here at CSU. Uh, Would you mind telling me more about that? It's really interesting.
7: Definitely, Kaya. Uh, So yeah, that was quite a night. A lot of memories. Um, I happened to work at Avos uh, back then, and I was working at I was a college CSU student back then, and uh, I was working at Avos that night. I was a cook, and uh, it was a rainstorm like I've never seen anywhere in the country, and I've I've been all over this nation and i've never seen so much rain i actually looked up some stats just because i was curious um it it actually rained 14 inches in 30 hours which is about the same amount of rain that we get in a year in colorado normally um it it was six inches in a period of one hour one and a half hours uh between on it was on july 28th 1997 uh between like 8:30 p.m and 10 o'clock which is when i was trying to close down the restaurant and uh it was as if I took the trash out and it was as if someone dumped an entire bucket of water on my head, just walking out the back door. And uh, we had to close down early and myself and uh, a couple of the other employees, we were, we were young and stupid and uh, we'd never been in a flood before. So, so we just, uh, <laughs> we went onto campus because, you know, we wanted to see what was going on. We heard campus was a mess. That's all we knew. And we, we left Davos. We walked down the alley there by the rainbow. We came past the what's now the construction science uh, building, Guggenheim, I think. We came into, uh, right at House and Laurel, and I could not believe what I was seeing. The entire oval was a lake. It was, it was just a lake. And so, of course, what do you do when you're 20-something years old and you see that? You jump in it, right? So we just went for a swim. Uh, we swam across the oval, and uh, we were about in the middle of the oval, and I could not touch. I mean, I went down to see how deep, and it was definitely a couple feet over my head, and, uh, some guy goes by me in a canoe and, uh, it was just something else. Um, so we, we crossed the oval and we went into some higher parts of campus over by the, what's the quad. I guess you guys don't use that term anymore, but the quad is the center of campus between the student center and the library. That area was dry kind of. Um, and we came around the student center and all the lagoon, the lagoon went all the way to the rec center. And, uh, we just kept going, and basically Elizabeth was a river, and uh, it was it was like a three foot deep river just pounding into campus. And I mean, where we're sitting right now was completely underwater. Um, I know KCSU was was destroyed. I was an avid KCSU listener way back then. Love love the station. Um, but yeah, everything down here was destroyed. There used to be a bowling alley right over here uh, by the by the station, so it was destroyed. Everything.
2: That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I honestly didn't even hear about that until you told me about it, but that's crazy how big of an impact it had mm-hmm. on the university. Um, we only have a couple minutes left, okay. but um, really quick, would you mind ta- talking about the couch riots that you experienced sure, uh, sure. when you were a student?
7: Sure, sure. Okay. Uh, that was a similar era. It uh, could have even been like uh, that same summer, potentially, maybe a couple summers after. Um, basically, the uh, city had made it illegal for... Um, most students back then lived in old town. I know most of them now to live in campus West, but we lived in old town and we used to always have couches on our porches and, um, they made it illegal to have couches on the porch. And, um, they started going around and giving people tickets and, uh, in protest, people yanked the couches off the porch and just lit them on fire in the middle of the street one night. Um, and, uh, house street was completely blocked as like multiple couch fires in every intersection for blocks. And, uh, um, the riot police came out and it was it was just uh, one of those nights you'll never forget. Um, you could see the fires for, you know, all the way down uh, House Street from campus. Um, but yeah, we, we all ran and hit at Avos. So that was kind of the place to be back then.
2: That's so crazy. <laughs> yeah, I have not heard about any of this. So I really appreciate <laughs> you talking about it and You're giving back, some right? of your insight. Um, yeah. So thank you so much. You've really inspired me um, just learning more about Colorado State in general and just learning about more of the history. And I think it's really cool that you're still involved in the community and you have a daughter going here. So you get to see your legacy live on. Um, thank you, yeah. And thank you for sharing your experiences with KSU today.
7: You bet. Anytime.
3: CSU. I'm Brody Trujillo, and this is another National News Report. Trump accused the media of pushing Joe Biden's candidacy today in a tweet calling Biden Sleepy Joe. Biden said today that he takes responsibility for the Anita Hill hearing, saying that he believed her from the very beginning and that she didn't get a very fair hearing. And that she did not get treated well as well. The Anita Hill hearing was relevant to the news recently because of Brett Kavanaugh. He was accused of a sexual assault by a college classmate, Christine Blasey Ford, in hearings that were reminiscent of the Clarence Thomas confirmation in which Anita Hill was accused of sexual harassment. Michael Avenatti, former attorney of adult film actress and Trump mistress Stormy Daniels, pled not guilty to charges that he stole millions of dollars from his clients, failed to pay taxes, and lied in bankruptcy cases. He was indicted indicted earlier this month on 36 counts. It was only a few months ago that Avenatti was considering a 2020 presidential run. The Trump administration announced that it will be delaying their plan to open up most of the nation's coastline for offshore drilling after an Alaskan judge, Sharon Gleason, passed down a decision that dictated that environmental protection measures put in place by President Obama in 2015 and 16 must stay until revoked by Congress. The Baylor women's basketball team visited the White House today after winning the national championship last month. This marks the first women's team to have their own visit during the Trump administration with the past two WNBA championship teams and last year's NCAA champion, Notre Dame, not receiving invites. Multiple sports teams have declined to go to the White House in recent years, including the Golden State Warriors and the Philadelphia Eagles, because the players um, cited concerns with Trump's policies. Spotify reached 100 million paid subscribers, which doubles Apple Music, its nearest competitor's 50 million. Spotify has over 217 daily active users worldwide, Ford surpassed uh, Tesla on Friday to be the number uh, two U.S. car maker in market value. Ford's $40.7 valuation just ekes past Tesla's $40.6 billion valuation. General Motors still holds the top mark at $56 billion. Woodstock uh, was supposed to have a 50th anniversary show, um, and it was canceled. The gig was supposed to headline Jay-Z, Miley Cyrus, Chance the Rapper, and more. Um Concert officials said it was canceled because of concerns about the capacity of the festival, the readiness of the venue, and general permitting issues. Um, This would have been a really cool anniversary, um, but unfortunately, we just couldn't make it happen. After a successful test of their Impossible Whopper, Burger King is uh, uh, going to start selling the vegetarian patty nationwide. Impossible Burger patty is meant to mimic the flavor of their traditional Whopper. For KCSU, I'm Brody Trujillo, and that was your national news report.
1: Coming up later in the show, we have an interview with Red Truck Beer Company, as well as a look at the rising cost of textbooks. Keep it tuned here on the Rocky Mountain Review.
8: CSU is supported by Washington's, supporting live and local music in Fort Collins. Upcoming shows include country band Blackhawk and Goats on May 12th, and Right Minded with Post Paradise on May 17th. Tickets and info at WashingtonsFoco.com.
1: Colorado,
2: Colorado is home to many great nationally recognized breweries, like. Coors & Golden and New Belgium housed right here in Fort Collins. Like many college towns, Fort Collins is known for its many local breweries, including New Belgium, Odell, and many, many more. But how does Fort Collins have such a great beer scene? What makes Fort Collins so special? Reporter Anthony DeCosmo sat down with Laird Mulderink and Cody Highland from Red Truck Beer Company to talk about why Colorado and Fort Collins is such a hub for breweries. Let's give it a listen.
9: Uh, I'm the operations manager for Red Truck, Uh, you know, for job description wise it's kind of all over the place because running a startup like we do here right now we're kind of, uh, we're we're jacks of all trades. Uh, We're wearing a lot of hats as as we see it so uh, the the main side of my job is to oversee uh, brewery production, our front of house guest experience, uh, marketing and how we touch the community, sales and distribution, strategic planning. Uh,
10: my name is Cody Highland. I am uh, the only sales representative for Red Truck here in Colorado. Uh, I've been in the craft beer industry for right around four years at this point, And I have been in the restaurant bar industry for roughly nine years before that. Uh, my principal role here is to sell all of the beer that leaves uh, the Red Truck facility uh, for on-premise and off-premise locations
11: outside
0: of here. Laird Mulder Inc. and Cody Highland both have multiple years of experience working with craft beer. Whether that is from bartending to just drinking beer because they love it, they both seem to have a passion for beer and the beer industry. Cody has been in Fort Collins since around 2004. While Laird has been here from 2001 to 2006 for school, he left to go to Denver for around 13 years. He has since been in Fort Collins for about a year now. While both Cody and Laird have spent a lot of time in Fort Collins, they have different perspectives on how they've seen the town change and evolve and how the beer scene changed with it.
9: Now a lot of it has stayed the same, but a lot of it has changed. You know, there's still the Aggie, the Steak Out, well, all these really, you know, uh, the bars you mentioned, but um, everything else has changed. When I left, it was just New Belgium, Cooper Coopersmiths, Odell, even Fort Collins Brewery, and C B and Potts and Ezra Bush. Yeah, that so was that was it. So, uh, Equinox being the next one out. pre Equinox even. Yeah. <laughs> so you know when kind of the basis about how I got its beer scene. You know, I watched it from afar, but I was here beforehand, and now I'm back.
0: With Red Truck not being originally from Colorado, there were some challenges along the way that the company faced with trying to become integrated into the community. Since there were already such big nationally recognized breweries in town, like Odell in New Belgium, it was intimidating to come into the scene as a smaller brewery and to try to make an impact on the community.
9: Uh, on the flip side of that, within the craft community, uh, I like to say that we compete with each other. We don't compete against each other. Uh, Odell has loaned us cans for uh, testing out our can line. Uh, we've loaned them growler caps you know, when they needed it. Uh, we've we we worked with New Belgium to you know just trade back and forth you know a little bit of knowledge or you know community and talking. Um, so having the resources and what is it 24 breweries in town now? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 20, yeah, 20 24 breweries here. We have a lot of passion, a lot of expertise. We have um, you know somebody. We're so collaborative. Nobody's going to run out of anything. If if you're falling short on. Uh, some yeast that you need, or you're short on a bag of malt, you don't have enough hops, or you just reach out to the neighbors around and it's, it's like uh, loaning a cup of sugar. You know, somebody's gonna, nobody wants the sugar back, you just come over to my house, yeah, get what you need, and here we are, we're in this for each other. So, that's probably the biggest baseline of, of helping out in the incredible side of having great neighbors like this.
0: Colorado is a hub for beer, breeding a community of beer lovers and beer enthusiasts alike. I wondered how this came to be.
10: The outdoor lifestyle here doesn't hurt the microbrew scene because microbrews are all about quality ingredients. Um, you know, most of the brews that you see around here will use local ingredients if they can find it, even. Um, and it just seems like a total, a total symbiotic, you know, relationship between, you know, be it, be it farmers or you know, malting companies or you know, other breweries. Uh, it's it's all about community, camaraderie, and um, you know, it seems to me that a lot of the you know, the, the folks that work in craft beer here in Colorado are super genuine, awesome people uh, before they started working in craft beer, which is, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a cool thing to be a part of an industry as a whole that, that, you know, really embraces that, you know.
0: It's safe to say that breweries in Fort Collins aren't going anywhere anytime soon. Thanks to people like Laird and Cody for paving the way for local brewers who are passionate about the craft of craft beer. A special thanks to the wonderful people at Red Truck Beer Company for meeting with me and discussing how beer made its way into Fort Collins and created such a great community. Red Truck's tagline is, the freshest beer on four wheels. And after our discussion I had with them, I can say that is indeed the case. For KCSU, I'm Anthony DeCosmo.
2: Do you want a beer?
1: Sent to... Anthony would like to thank Red Truck Beer Company for allowing him access into their facilities, and a special thank you to Laird and Cody for the interview. Coming up soon in the show, we have an interview with Steve McDonnell, director of student-athlete support services here at CSU, as well as a feature on CSU's Psychedelic Club.
12: College of Liberal Arts and the English Department. They bring community literacy workshops to men and women incarcerated in the Larimer County Jail and to young people residing in local crisis centers. Each week, teams of CSU students and community volunteers facilitate 90-minute creative writing workshops. For more information about Speak Out, visit csuclc.wordpress.com.
2: Preparing to buy books for the next semester, here's Lily Fordyce talking to a few CSU students on the rising price of textbooks.
13: Textbooks cost a lot and aren't always necessary. For many of us, the textbooks we buy sit on a shelf unopened and gathering dust, only to be sold back for a whole lot less. With textbook prices on the rise, I was curious to hear what students thought and their opinions
14: on why they think prices have changed. Textbook prices are rising, specifically for college students. And part of it is because there's like, just a handful of publishers, so it's not quite a monopoly, it's more like an oligopoly, where they have basically complete control of the market and they can dictate prices as they, you know, deem fit. And then there's a complex interplay between those publishers and schools. So it's like a really, it's not a fair system by any means. And then what they do is they'll repackage information with minor, minor changes, you know, every edition and then upcharge you for that, even though the content is essentially the same. Or they'll add in things that people don't use or don't need, so just like random supplemental materials that they know nobody uses or needs. And then the big one's access codes, because you, you know, like online textbooks now, and so part of like trying to get on, get in on that market, is like, hey, you know, you get the access code too. Reality, they're just like, they're charging you for no reason, it's not because the materials are necessarily that expensive, It's not because there's brand new content, it's purely just like a market mechanism. And so the more and more people buy used textbooks, the more and more these publishers, in order to maintain their already really unfair profit levels, will just keep repackaging and repackaging things at more and more expensive rates to try and get the most uninformed consumers, i.e. college students and high school students.
8: I
10: think that textbook prices are rising, probably majority because of greed kind of the same way how college just in general the price is rising. Textbook prices rising doesn't really ever affect me because I pirate everything because they were too expensive when I started anyways.
14: Well, I'm a sociology major so I don't use textbooks a whole ton. The only time that it really affects me is when I'm in one of the gen ed classes that we're required to take. Um, and usually I'd be fine with just finding, like, a free PDF version online, but a lot of the times you're forced to buy it because of the Inclusive Access Program, um, where a lot of professors will assign homework and reading and stuff through that program, and it'll, like, if you don't buy the textbook and the program, you will fail the class. Well, textbook prices are completely... Absurd! This is like literally why I bought a Kindle is because I could get at least for some books like a seventy-five percent cheaper e-textbook or just an ebook as opposed to getting the real ones. Cause I don't, Poly doesn't always use the most like textbook textbooks. It's a lot of like just normal books and we have to read them, which is like horrible. But they're significantly cheaper when they're like online. I already pay all these student fees and all this tuition. And then most of the time every year, it's gonna, it's gonna be anywhere from like 500 on the low end to a thousand for a whole year's worth of textbooks and access codes and school supplies. Like that's like insane. And most of that cost is literally textbooks. Textbook
13: prices play a huge part in the cost of college education. And after talking to a few students, it's clear that the increases have a tangible, if obscure effect on their academic life. As students, we hope to see price fall, but not without a significant change in the system.
1: Seems as though a lot of students are not happy with rising textbook prices. Lily would like to thank Olivia Barber, Connor Hall, and Mary O'Hara for sharing their opinions on the subject.
4: Welcome back to your local newscast. Uh, four people were killed last Thursday after a collision occurred on I-70 in Golden that involved a 20, 24 passenger cars and four semi-trucks, reported Bobby Sheldon at 9 News. The four victims are 61-year-old Doyle Harrison of Hudson, 67-year-old William Bailey of Arvada, 24-year-old Miguel Angel Lamos Ariano, 24 of Denver, and 69-year-old Stanley Politano, also of Arvada. 10 other people were also treated for injuries. 23-year-old Rogo Lazaro Aguilera Medeiros of Houston, Texas, says the brakes in his semi failed and noticed his speedometer read 85 miles per hour just before the crash. Aguilera Medeiros claims he decided to swerve back towards the traffic after believing he was going to die. He is is faced a judge Saturday morning where he was arrested and charged with four counts of vehicular homicide, and his bond was set at $400,000. A three-truck collision happened in Loveland on Saturday afternoon, reports Hans Peter from the Loveland Reporter Herald. Police arrested a 27-year-old man who is suspected in causing the crash. His pickup smashed into the side of a house at the intersection of East First Street and North St. Louis Avenue. One driver was sent to the hospital with non-life-threatening issues. Loveland Fire Rescue Authority crews responded to the incident at 4.41 p.m. and discovered two pickups in the intersection, with one driver still stuck inside. The house was deemed uninhabitable after the truck struck one side of the house. Tyler James Weigel, was arrested shortly after the crash on suspicion of vehicular assault, failure to remain on scene after the crash, DUI, failure to report an accident, and violation of a traffic control signal. No one was seriously injured. Over 372 pounds of unused medication and prescription drugs was collected by the Fort Collins Police Department on Saturday for National Drug Take Back Day, reports CBS Denver. The day is meant to give people a chance to get rid of their no longer needed or no longer used prescription drugs before they can get into the hands of kids or abusers and keep down the prescription drug abuser rate. Over 200 people participated on Saturday, giving their unneeded medication to the program in Fort Collins. Many other cities across the state participated as well. Anyone who missed the event and would still like to participate in the Fort Collins to participate, the Fort Collins Police Department still accepts old or expired medication at their front desk every day. This has been your local, your daily local newscast for Monday, April 29, 2019. For more information, visit thecollegian.com or kcsufm.com. This has been brought to you by Rocky Mountain Student Media.
8: It's time for some RAM facts. Did you know that 70% of CSU graduates secured first destination employment or education plans at the time of graduation? Or that CSU grads are employed at a rate 10 points higher than the national average? How about this one? Did you know that three out of four CSU graduates are employed in a field or profession related to their major? Well, that's the CSU effect. This message is brought to you by the CSU Career Center. And for more information, visit career.colostate.edu support for kcsu comes from chippers lanes chippers lanes offers laser tag bowling an arcade and more thursday nights are college nights at all chippers locations and live music will be every thursday at the college center location kcsu thanks chippers lanes for their underwriting support
1: coming up soon in the show we have an interview with the fort collins cat rescue and a special look at csu's psychedelic club this is host Anthony Bonner, and I am now joined by Steve McDonnell, Director of Student Athlete Support Services here at Colorado State University. Thank you for joining us this evening, Steve. Thank you. I
11: appreciate it. Um, to start off, uh, how long have you been working here at Colorado State? I've been at Colorado State about six years as a director, but I've been in the profession about 28 years. Okay. And um, did you attend this university? No, I did not. No. Okay. So um, <laughs> what previous universities have you worked at? I was at Iowa State University for about eighteen years, and then I was at texas a and m University for about nine years doing the same kind of work okay um, Have you worked other jobs here at Colorado state? if so what no, I really haven't. I've been in student athlete services my whole career very cool what made you get uh what made you decide to get into this career field? I was working in student affairs at Iowa State University and uh opportunity came up for the director of this this area at Iowa State and and it seemed interesting to me at the time so I I thought I'd give it a chance for maybe a year or two and I've been doing it for 28 years. Um, For people out there that don't know what exactly does student-athlete support services do? We provide a variety of academic services in particular for all student athletes. We have about 380 student athletes in 16 sports at Colorado State. And so we provide tutoring support, we, we monitor their academic progress. We also do what's called student athlete development, where we interact with a career center, we, we do programs in leadership development and things of that nature. What in your
1: eyes, Steve, are the goals of student athlete support services?
11: primarily to make sure that our student athletes are successful here at Colorado State in terms of graduating from here, as well as uh, having meaningful experiences in their own personal development. Very cool.
1: Um, and I'm not sure you have the exact answer on this, but has student athlete support services always been around here at Colorado State?
11: It's. I don't know the exact date it started, but I'm sure it's been here at least 25 years, and it's been quite successful here. How have you seen in your six years here um, student athlete support services evolve? Uh, it's interesting we've had we've grown in the number of of staff that we have here when I first started here we had four full-time staff we have nine full-time staff now uh, both in terms of uh, staffing as well as the facilities when I first came here we were in a very small facility at McGraw Center and and now we have our own academic center what do you see for the future of these services here at Colorado State I think the future is very bright uh, in terms of the level of resources we're committing to it, and uh, the quality of support we provide to the student athletes. And I think uh, it's a growing program here at CSU.
1: Um, If there were any changes you could make to it here at Colorado State University, uh, what would they be?
11: Oh, the kinds of changes, I think uh, one thing, we've outgrown our facility, to be honest with you, and so I think we're at a point where we need to really focus on uh, expanding that to some degree, and also doing more in the area of student athlete development. That seems to be a growing area as well. Speaking of the facility, what all, um, you know, what's all involved in
1: the facility? What all do student athletes have access to in that facility?
11: We have uh, a computer lab of our own, a 30-station computer lab that they can access. We have uh, six tutor rooms in the facility that they can use. And we have a large study area uh, for all of our student athletes. And we're open basically from 7.30 in the morning until 9 o'clock at night. So they have a lot of access.
1: Um, How impactful do you feel uh, you guys are on student-athlete success here at Colorado State and just the overall student-athlete experience from, you know, the academic to, you know, the, the game and event aspect?
11: Yeah. I think we're, you know, I'm a little bit uh, biased about that, but I, but I think we've been quite successful in that regard. Uh, our student-athlete graduation rates are actually better than the all-university graduation rate, uh, and so we're quite proud of that fact, and, and our student-athletes are very much students and athletes. They They take it quite seriously, and we really appreciate that.
1: How important, just in general, not just at Colorado State,
11: do you feel these services are for a university to have? I think they're very important. Uh, in Division One athletics in particular, what's happened over the years is the amount of time that student-athletes have to devote to their sports has increased over the years significantly, as well as all their academic demands and so on. And so I think it's really essential that these kind of su- support services are there. Also, with the uh, progress toward degree rules and everything from the NCAA, it's very important that somebody is monitoring that closely with our student-athletes. Since you've been around
1: um, you know the profession for a while and you've been at different universities, um, how do you feel other universities compare to CSU in this uh, aspect of student-athlete support services?
11: In this area, again, a little biased. I like, I like the way we work at Colorado State in particular, the three universities I worked at. The main thing here is collaboration with a lot of resources on campus. I find that uh, Colorado State is very receptive to working with our staff and others to make sure that it's a a successful program. And I think that's uh, a bit unique here at the university. Um, What has been your favorite part about this job? (laughs) Uh, Most definitely seeing the student athletes grow in their their experience here, uh, coming in as freshmen and kind of a little uncertain about what they're gonna be doing here. And then to see them actually develop into more mature adults and grow and graduate and uh, feel very proud of their experience here.
1: If you uh, could say there's one thing, or even a few things you've learned over the years um, in this profession, you know what what would you say are the most notable?
11: Mm. The things I've learned is, is that the student athletes themselves are are genuinely quality people that I really enjoy being around. I didn't know that much about athletics until I got into this profession, and I find that. Uh, they're a wonderful group to work with, that they're that they generally committed to uh, their life, both as as a student and as an athlete. It's been a really meaningful experience for me.
1: And kind of on a, a different subject, but the same subject, um, how do you feel You know, coaches and um, surrounding influences for student-athletes, how do you feel they um, see these services?
11: Oh, I think uh, most coaches very much appreciate the kind of work that we do. Uh, We have very good working relationships with our coaches here at Colorado State, and I think that's a significant part of it, that they want to make sure that their student-athletes are successful in the classroom as well as in the particular sport. No doubt,
1: and um, do you see yourself you know continuing this job at CSU uh, for many years or
11: actually anthony i'm I'm about to retire, okay, so uh, no, I don't see I've been doing this for a number of years and and I'll be retiring here pretty soon, but uh, I know we're leaving the program in very good hands
1: very cool um you know that's that's awesome and
11: I'm sure you've had a
1: great career and I uh, you know I think that's really cool um a very cool profession what you guys do I think that's a big part of the you know student athlete experience here at CSU. And, uh, you know, that's awesome. So I just wanted to thank you for joining us and uh, sharing your experiences about the profession here uh, on the Rocky Mountain Review this evening.
11: Thank you. I appreciate it.
2: Keep it tuned till the end of the show for a special look at the Fort Collins Cat Rescue, discussing their involvement in the Fund the Shelters Challenge. Austin Butterfield sat down with Teresa Egbert, the president of CSU Psychedelic Club, to discuss the club's goals. Teresa's personal experience with mushrooms and psychedelics
6: of CSU's Psychedelic Club, Teresa Egbert, sat down with me today to talk about the club and a bit about her experience using psilocybin mushrooms to treat her PTSD. The Psychedelic Club is relatively new on campus and was formed in February when Teresa and Nick teamed up.
5: So I had been thinking about it last semester and didn't really think about it much until this semester when uh, Nick, the Vice President, uh, contacted me and Uh, inspired me to get it started up, so we kind of teamed up together and started up together.
6: We soon began talking about the common criticisms of psychedelics and how the club has began taking steps to educate and inform the public on safely using psychedelics for the treatment of PTSD, depression, anxiety, and cluster headaches. Teresa hopes that this information will help to destigmatize psychedelics and show people that psychedelics are not something to be feared.
5: As soon as I tell them that I use it for PTSD, they, it, the whole conversation changes uh, because people just think it's some silly, goofy, hippie thing that you're just like laughing in the woods. Um, but really, people uh, should be aware that um, it can really help people with PTSD and people with depression. Uh, anxiety, cluster headaches. There's uh, danger with anything that you use, so nothing's completely safe. So the biggest thing is we really don't know what it's gonna do to every single person. Every single person's body is so different. So uh, the biggest thing is people with um, like schizophrenia and other kind of mental problems might, it might uh, make that worse. So that's always uh, one of the most important things that we talk about, uh, harm reduction and that kind of thing and um the i mean when it's illegal it makes it a little bit more dangerous because you can't have that like background check the mental uh health of someone so hopefully when it gets decriminalized we'll have better ways of screening those people for that process
6: teresa and i talked about some of the clinical trials that are happening right here in fort collins these trials are likely to result in the decriminalization of drugs like MDMA and soon after the public treatment using these drugs for things like PTSD, depression, anxiety, and cluster headaches. It's
5: like the third trial. So after this trial, it'll be um, reviewed for FDA approval. Oh, so cool, cool. hopefully in the next year or so, like Fort times, people will be able to go to the wholeness mm-hmm. Center and use it.
6: While MDMA is the drug undergoing clinical trials, Teresa's personal experience is with psilocybin mushrooms.
5: I'm a mushroom person, so I just love mushrooms in general. So I'm always going to go with the psilocybin. Um, but they also, I'm really interested in learning more about MDMA too. So there's something about it that just changes the way you think. So, like with PTSD, you're kind of just stuck in this narrow view of the world and I kind of was just replaying the event over my head over and over again and uh, when i took mushrooms it's just like lets you see things from a different point of view it lets you see that um it's not the end of the world
6: with all the talk of clinical trials and proper procedure when taking psychedelics i asked Teresa about the most important safety measures for the safe consumption of psychedelics and how the club intends to make these known
5: Just being educated on what you're using and if it's um, something like LSD you always want to test everything that you're using. With mushrooms it's a little different um, but with anything else you want to test it make sure you know what is in it because it can always be cut with other dangerous things so that's important to think about. I think the biggest thing is we really have a problem with uh, mental health in our society and it's not being addressed enough so I feel like psychedelics are a new option for people with mental health if issues and just um, psychedelics in general bring up that topic of mental health so i feel like that's going to get that conversation of mental health started too and a lot of our uh, meetings are about mental health and ptsd and that kind of stuff
6: when i asked Teresa if she had anything final to add she had this to say
5: ptsd like really changes your life and once i started using psilocybin mushrooms it just Uh, changes the way you think, and allows you to see things from a new perspective, uh, allows you to love yourself. Laughter really can be the best medicine. Like when you're really depressed or have PTSD, it's like sometimes you'll like um, go like months without laughing or smiling and uh, the mushroom and psychedelics can really bring that out and allow you to just let that out. I just want to educate people and um, do harm reduction and make uh, just let people know how to use it safely and use it in the best way and just get the word out there that Denver is going to be decriminalizing and we'll be doing a statewide initiative after that.
1: Keep an eye on CSU Psychedelic Club social media and campus sidewalks for updates on meeting announcements and Austin would like to say thank you to Teresa for sharing her experiences and information. Fort Collins Cat Rescue has been open for 13 years and has been working on winning the Fund the Shelters Challenge. Our arts and culture reporter, Claire Green, talked with local residents and employees Sarah Swantee and Anna Buchler about the impact they've created for the cat and pet community around Fort Collins.
12: We're here with Sarah Swantee, co-founder and executive director, discussing the impact of the Fund the Shelters Challenge.
15: So Fund the Shelters Challenge is a nationwide Uh, crowdfunding challenge. So there are hundreds of animal welfare organizations that participate in this challenge every year. I think this is the fifth year that they've done it and we've participated every year. And our goal is to raise $130,000. People can give any amount of course. I think the minimum is $10 that people can donate and I don't believe there's any maximum. So right now we have raised, I think we're getting close to $40,000 in the first almost two weeks since the challenge started. Our goal is to raise $130,000. If we get first place in the challenge, meaning if we win the most money of all of the organizations participating, we will receive a $50,000 grant in addition to all of the money that we raise. So last year we finished the challenge in third place and received a $20,000 grant in addition to all the money raised. This year we would really love to get first. If we get first we plan to use the $50,000 grant as the down payment to purchase the unit that our shelter currently resides in.
12: Winning this challenge would greatly benefit the Cat Rescue, especially because of the extent of their services they provide to our community.
15: We have two kind of major focus areas. One is obviously the sheltering and adoption of homeless cats and kittens. So we take in, at this point, more than 2,600 cats and kittens annually, which is pretty tremendous. The other focus area that we have is keeping pets in homes and out of shelters. And so we do that by providing low cost spay neuter, community cat program. We have a pet food pantry. And Anna can talk um, about that some. She's the manager for our community pet resources, which is us saying, how can we help you keep your pet versus surrendering it to a shelter, mm-hmm. which I believe is e- equally important to having a shelter for homeless cats and kittens, is working with our community members, helping them be responsible pet owners, mm-hmm. keeping them, those pets with the families that love them.
12: Now here with Anna Buchler, community pet resource manager, with details on the programs the cat shelter offers.
13: And last year with the kibble supply program, um, so helping people um, afford pet food, um, we helped a hundred. Let's see, seven hundred and thirty-five animals. So that's seven hundred and thirty-five animals that are not going to shelters, that are not taking up resources in shelters, and get to stay with their people, which is awesome. So I think. Um, those programs are equally as important as Sarah said.
12: The Cat Rescue also opened a behavior center to reduce the amount of euthanized animals due to behavior
15: issues. We started our behavior center, it's been about a year now actually, I think July was when it officially opened, but we have a a full-time veterinary behaviorist that does consults out in the community. And that's part of our shelter intake prevention. So if someone's having problems with their dog, behavior-wise or their cat and they're considering euthanasia, they can actually reach out to us for help from a behaviorist. She'll go to their home, um, spend some time with the animal, get the history, and then give them a whole plan to work on that behavior and resolve it.
12: That's awesome. Yeah.
15: Because we know that if those animals end up in a shelter, there's a fairly good chance that they could end up on the euthanasia list. So again, trying to prevent that from happening.
12: The Fund the Shelters Challenge will not only help the Fort Collins Cat Rescue, but our beloved pets here
13: in Fort Collins as well. So you can donate to our Fund the Shelters page um, by going to our website, which is Fort Collins Cat Rescues Speed Neuter Clinic, er, well, <laughs> <laughs>
15: FCCRSNC.org Yeah, I can yeah. never spell it. <laughs> Acronym for Fort Collins Cat Rescue Speed <laughs> Neuter
13: um, It's the first banner on our website. And then also you can go to our Facebook page, and it's all over our Facebook page.
12: (laughs) This is Claire Green with the Fort Collins Cat Rescue, brought to you by 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins.
1: Thank you for tuning in to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. This has been the Rocky Mountain Review for April 29th, 2019.
2: We would like to give a special shout out to all of our reporters,
1: Anthony DeCosmo, Lily Fordyce,
2: Austin Butterfield, and Claire Green.
1: As well as all the other interviewees from Red Truck Beer Company and the Fort Collins Cat Rescue,
2: CSU Psychedelic Club, and other fellow students from CSU.
1: A big thank you to our local and national newscasters, Caitlin Malone and Brody Trujillo.
2: And lastly, a huge thanks to our guests today, Brandon Fuller and Steve McDonnell.
1: For the Rocky Mountain Review, I'm Anthony Bonner.
2: And I'm Kaya Cooper.
1: You can tune in again to the Rocky Mountain Review this Wednesday, May 1st from 4 to 5 p.m.
2: Where we cover local and national news, as well as keeping you updated on what's happening around Fort Collins.
1: Keep it locked here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins.